for the reading of God's Word. Philippians 2, and I want to say that, that this is one of the lowest attended services, um, uh, Sunday evening services of the year in every church that has a Sunday evening service. In fact, many churches have just canceled this service because it's so low attended, but you all have made it out, and I know God has something for us this evening. I know many of you are tired and weary because you've worked hard today, and uh, you uh, put out a lot of effort today, whether you brought a meal or were just kind and cordial, maybe you're part of the choir, or even on the church staff here. Many of you have worked hard today, but I do believe that right here, right now, God has something for us. And so let's do our best to settle our hearts and settle our souls and see what, exactly what that is. Verse 1 says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every one on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And the title of our sermon this evening is found there out of verse 5. It's just simply this, developing the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. How to develop the mind of Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to think like Christ thinks. I want to operate like Christ operates. I want my moral decisions to be based on his uh, mindset. I want my attitude toward problems to come from Christ. I want to have the mind of Christ. And, and I don't have it all figured out, and probably you don't have it all figured out, but tonight I believe Philippians 2 lays out for us several uh, key factors of what it means to have the mind of Christ. And I hope tonight we're all challenged to develop that a little bit more. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the Bible, how, how practical it is. And Lord, help us tonight to take the practical truths out of this passage and one, understand them, and then two, go forth and live them. Thank you, God, for the Bible. Thank you for raising from the dead. We can't say it enough. We can't praise you enough. Our whole uh, reason for worship, our whole reason for gathering, our whole reason for service is because you live. And, uh, Lord, uh, th today is just a wonderful day to honor and remember that. Help us to leave tonight determined to develop even deeper within ourselves the mind of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Begin the message this evening with a personal illustration and um, one I think that will help you understand the direction of the sermon, and so allow me to back up a little bit here. Uh, my junior year of college, I was a single man and wanting to uh, be uh, in a dating relationship. I knew that I only had a, a year and a half of college left, and I did not want to graduate from Bible college without a serious marriage prospect. And so I uh, got serious about asking young ladies out, and I made a, a mental list, five, six, seven girls that I uh, eyeballed that I wanted to ask out on a date, and, and, and I went out dates with some of them, some of them it didn't work out, uh, but uh, I just couldn't seem to find any traction in the dating world, and uh, lo and behold, uh, we had a big pastor's conference at that church every year, and uh, there would be four or five, six thousand people that would show up for this conference, and they would take the college students, 
attached to this church ministry, and they would use us to help host the conference and run some of the venues and be involved in a lot of the behind-the-scenes type work. And so they asked, they said, listen, we need men, uh, men and women from the college to volunteer uh, to show up uh, to the church uh, campus for a practice, and we're going to pair up at random men and women, and we're going to have them uh, uh, usher and pass out some of the gifts given to the delegates. And I'm thinking, this is my chance to meet a young lady. And um, she'll be trapped with me for a whole week, and I can win her over. I can charm her over. So I had not agreed to do anything else at this conference, and so I quickly ran and signed up and, uh, and um, went to the church there for the practice. And several hundred other college students were there, a 7,500-seat auditorium, paired in twos, and uh, spread all across the auditorium there. And, and so Elaine Colston uh, was running this meeting, and Elaine Colston stood up behind the pulpit of this large room with all these college kids, and she said, okay, find someone of the opposite gender and scatter throughout the auditorium. And she gave us a way to do it, and, and ready, go. And sure enough, uh, a bunch of boyfriends and girlfriends had signed up for this event, and they just ran and, and got each other and went to that spot and uh, lo and behold the whole entire auditorium had coverage of of where they were going to work and I'm standing there and I'm the only person that doesn't have a partner I don't have anyone to to escort uh, or or rather to, to to work with and I'm thinking are you serious of the 300 college kids that showed up the the 100 I don't have any college kids that were showed up I'm the I'm the odd man out what what do you know I'm just on a, a bad streak here of luck, I can't seem to uh, I, I get a date. I can't seem to get this to work out. And and then um, uh, she said, "Okay, you now that you've got your spots, we're going to take a bathroom break and then come back and uh, we'll work you we'll work you through uh, how to walk in, how to walk out, where to stand, what to do, and we'll walk you through all that." So I'm standing there thinking I've just wasted time. The college is 25 minutes from the church, and um, I've wasted my gas money. I've taken personal days off classes to be here. This is not right. I'm getting worked up. She comes back and she says, now hold on. There's a spot up here in the corner of the balcony where we don't have anyone working. Do I have a man and a woman uh, who need a place? And I shot my hand up, right? Right here, me, right here. I'll do it. And so Angela was standing all the way on the other side of the auditorium. And and again, this is a 7,500-seat auditorium, very large. So far away, I couldn't see her. But Mrs. Colston uh, uh, had it made it known to her someone was over there. And so she said, you over there pointing to Angela and you over there pointing to me, you two go up there and work that spot. And so um, Angela's walking up the stairs to the balcony, and I'm following her up the stairs. And it was a brand-new auditorium, can lights and bright white lights coming down like a halo over Angela's head and, and hitting her hair and, Oh, the angels were singing in my head, and I followed her up the uh, the, the steps, and and I'm I'm already in love, and I've not said a word to this girl. I just she's beautiful, and and we get up there, and Angela's English, she's still kind of learning English, and Mrs. Colson is barking orders at her about she's not in the right spot, and she needs to come down, and she doesn't understand, and so I found that as my opportunity to smooth my way up and 
hey, you need to take a couple steps down. And, oh, okay. And so uh, the flirting began almost instantaneously between the two of us. And by the end of the week, uh, we had struck up enough of a camaraderie. We had struck up enough of an enjoyment in each other's presence uh, that when spring break concluded the following week, she came back from spring break. I asked her out on a date. And as they say, the rest here is history. And so we fell in love, and, and here we are, we got married. I remember in the process of falling in love with my wife, I remember uh, uh, feeling to myself, I really, really like this girl. Now consider these three words, all right? If you're uh, married in here this evening, or even if you have a strong friendship with someone here this evening, consider these three words, I like you. I like you. Consider those three words. Now, why do you like someone? You see, when I met Angela, there were a lot of things that attracted me to her that were different than me. You see, Angela's from Peru. I'm from the U.S. I grew up in a Christian home. Angela grew up in a morally good home, but not a Christian home. Um, I grew up with a mom and dad in my home. Angela grew up in a, in a divided home. There were a lot of things that were culturally different. There were a lot of things that were mysterious about her uh, to me, and a lot of things about her that were mysterious about me uh, with her. And so there was opposites that drew us together. But please understand that you don't pick a, a, a spouse for marriage based on your differences. You pick a spouse based on uh, on marriage, based on uh, what you have in common. Now, those three words, let's see, for me it would be I, I like you, but you guys are opposite of me, so I like you. Carrot in the word am. I am like you. You like people that you are like. You with me this evening? You like people that you are like. Uh, when you get into a marriage, you're going to marry, generally you're going to marry someone who shares a whole lot of moral code that is similar to you. You're going to marry someone who has a direction in life that is very similar to you. I like you. Why? Because I am like you. I like you because I am like you. Now, um, uh, I, I would ask you a question this evening. Is there a war going on for the rights to your moral mind? Is there a war going on to the rights of the morality of your mind. Uh, who do you think like? Who do you think like? Could it be that you struggle with sin because you think more like a sinner than you do like a saint? Could it be that you struggle with sin because you think more like a sinner than you do like a saint? You see, if you are like Christ, then you think like Christ if you are uh, uh, walking in sin, then you think more like a sinner. And so uh, we need to learn to develop a mind that thinks like Christ. Um, you could say, I like Christ, but are you like Christ? Are you with me this evening? You say, I like Him. I'm fond of Him. I'm favorable toward Christ. And if that's really true, deep down in the core of who you are, it's going to be because you are like Christ. You think like Christ. Many people struggle with this because they think like a sinner. They're conformed to the world, as Romans 12.2 describes it. But Romans 12.2 says we're not to be conformed to the world. We're to be transformed for the Lord. You with me tonight? You're not to be conformed to the world. You're to be transformed to the Lord. Now, watch how Romans 12.2 words this. 
It says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. You see, when you get saved, there is this, there is this uh, 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 transformation that begins to, think, play, uh, to take place where your thoughts change. Your mindsets change. Your mentalities change. And you no longer think in secular terms. You no longer think like a sinner. You no longer think linear. Instead, you start to think in terms of how would the Lord have me think about this? How would a Christian, uh, one who walks with Christ, think about this? It goes on to say that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I believe that the most important thing a person can figure out in his lifetime is his eternal destination. We talked about that this morning. The second most important thing a person can discover is how to develop the mind of Christ. You see, when you put a formula in place to where the mind of Christ is being developed in you over a period of time, my friend, you're putting yourself on track to be like Jesus. So we must take our Thinking, We must take our mentalities, our mindsets, and we must break them down and build them back up to where we think like Christ. You say, so pastor, how do I do that? How do I develop the mind of Christ? Well, let's look at four concepts here out of Philippians 2 that will help us to get our hearts and our minds in line with Christ. Number one, notice we must learn his love. We must learn his love. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 in a moment. By the way, Angela and I have been married. This, this June will be 15 years of marriage. And can I tell you that over 15 years, uh, I have more of the mind of Angela than I've ever had. And Angela has more of my mind than she's ever had. Our two uh, uh, thought processes are coming in line more and more and more and more the longer that we're married to the place where sometimes I can finish her sentences and sometimes she can finish my sentences. And I pick up on some of her quirks. And she picks up on some of my quirks. And listen, as we grow in the Lord, we're developing the mind of Christ. We begin to think like Christ thinks. We begin to get the heart uh, of Christ on matters. And someone says, well, can you take me to a chapter and verse that says? And you say, well, I can take you to a chapter and verse that generically describes. But listen, there grows. you grow to a point in your Christian life where you begin to do what's right, not because you have to have a chapter and verse, but because you've walked with Christ long enough where you begin to develop the mind of Christ on a matter. You begin to develop the mind of Christ on a topic. And listen, you don't have to have a chapter and verse. You just know because you're walking with the Lord. And the longer you walk with Him, the more clear these things become. We must learn His love. Look at verse 1 and 2 with me. It says, "...if there be therefore any consolation in Christ." If any comfort of love, love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let me share some statistics with you this evening. After doing some research and some study, I have discovered that 42% of marriages in the U.S. end in divorce. 42 percent of marriages. Now that number doesn't shock any of you. You've heard similar statistics, but can I tell you that that number isn't actually fair because that does not account for all of the people who move in and live like they're married and then separate but never actually got married. 
You understand, if we were to add those numbers in, it would be far lower than 42%. 42% of, of folks who go down to the courthouse and get a wedding license actually end in divorce. And as of 2019, this is a startling number, 14.2 per 100,000 people commit suicide in the U.S. Out of every 100,000 people, 14.2 of them take their life as of 2019. Now, I don't know what those numbers are now that COVID has come along. I would guess that 14.2 is quite low now that COVID has come along. But please understand that even 14.2 is trending up. In fact, in 2012, it was 13 per 100,000. And so a whole 1.2 on average, it has increased in just seven years. And I would guess that number spiked during COVID. But of all the stats I have to offer you this evening, this one is the most startling. In 2019, 630,000 abortions were performed. 630,000 times a woman walked into an abortion clinic and had a life snuffed out and terminated. 630,000 precious souls, precious babies were killed. What do these three things have in common? Divorce rate, suicide, abortions, What do these three statistics I just offered you have in common? Simply this, a very large misunderstanding of what love is. We saw what love is this morning via video when we saw Jesus or portrayal of Jesus and his death on the cross. Love is not selfish. Love is selfless. Love does not take, love gives. Love uh, is not me first. Love is you first. Love is others Centered, and we live in a world that love has been redefined by another four letter word, and it's Satan's counterfeit for love. It's the word lust. Lust. Why do people end up getting an abortion? And I know not in every case, but in most cases, it's because they wanted what they wanted sexually, and they didn't like what happened as a result, so they ran to an abortion clinic to terminate the pregnancy. That's lust. That's not love. That's a misunderstanding. Of love. Why do 42% of marriages end in divorce? Because so for so many people that get married, they got married uh, on a bad foundation. They got married uh, on uh, principles that really weren't true biblical love. And uh, and I know that I, I'm painting with a broad brush, and, and I know that uh, uh, there are scenarios that are different in, in each uh, case, but please understand that uh, with such a high divorce rate, love is greatly misunderstood. Why would someone go and decide that life is not worth living and hop in front of a train or jump off a bridge and take their life? Well, they do so because... They never really understood what true love is or was. For a Christian, Christ is our ultimate example of love. Simply this, a very large misunderstanding of what love is, is the driving force behind why so much hurt, relational hurt, exists in the world. Turn over to Luke 6 for me this evening. Luke 6. And verse 31, Christ is our ultimate example. We look at the life of Christ and we see someone who is willing to humiliate himself. We see someone who is willing to give his life a ransom for many and willing to become the sacrifice so that we could have 
salvation. Look at Luke 6 and look at verse 31. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. We know that is the golden rule. For if ye love them which love you, what think have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what think have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what think have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. Verse 35 is a hard-hitting verse. Look here. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your rewards shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. He is kind to the unthankful. He is kind to the evil. Do you understand that this type of love is very hard to find? Very hard to find. We're talking about developing the mind of Christ. You know what uh, is natural is I will love you if you love me back. Jesus addressed that in verse 31. Don't just do good to those that do good to you. Do good to those that even even the ones that don't. Do good, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then he goes on to say, sinners can love those that love them. If we're going to develop the mind of Christ, we must get very good at loving people who mistreat us. We must get very good at loving others who have deeply hurt us. We must be very good to those who are entitled and take advantage of us and are unthankful. We must be good we must love and show kindness to those that we would even label as evil. You see, Paul told the church of Philippi, he said, if you're going to develop the mind of Christ, you must learn this kind of Christ-like love. I just want to ask you tonight, do you love like Christ loved? Or do you love based on selfish motives? Do you base, love based on protecting your heart, first and foremost? You see, if we're going to develop the mind of Christ, we must learn his love. Number two, we must be like-minded. We must be like-minded. Go back to Philippians chapter 2 and look at verse number 2 with me. It says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Like-minded, one accord, one mind. Now, like-minded. Um, how many thoughts do you think the average person thinks in a day? Let me, let me reword that. How many decisions does the average person make in one day? From where you're going to step to where you're going to go. Uh, to what you're going to eat, to how big of a cup of coffee to make, amen, uh, to what words to use and say, how many decisions do you think the average person makes a day? Well, this has been studied in great depth. And um, the, the, uh, the, con the, the senses on this is that the average person makes about 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000 decisions 
per day. Now, these decisions are made where? Where are they made? They're made in the mind. We're talking about developing the mind of Christ. So that means you have 35,000 chances to think like Christ. You have 35,000 chances each day to make decisions that line up with Christ. Furthermore, you have 35,000 opportunities to mess it up and get it wrong. Right? And so we want to get this right. Developing the mind of Christ, we need to learn to be like-minded. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, uh, it fits right here. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. How much do you think about Christ? How much do you include him in that uh, in those decisions that you make. How often do you stop throughout your day and say, Christ, I want to have your mind on this. Lord, show me how you would do this. I want to handle this person as you would handle them. I want to speak to my spouse the way you would uh, if you were in my shoes. I want to uh, handle this delicate matter with my child in a way that you would have me handle it. I, I want to uh, treat the strangers in the store and uh, the clerk at the checkout line. I want to handle each person exactly the way that you would handle them, Lord. Give me your mind. Help me be like-minded. How many of you remember back in the 1990s when the WWJD bracelets became popular? How many of you remember that? Okay, how many of you wore a WWJD bracelet? Raise your hand if you wore a... Okay, a couple of hands, not too many of you. Uh, the rest of you are heathens, and so you weren't going to put them on, were you? Okay. Now, I didn't wear one either because I don't think real men wear bracelets. Amen? Um, I'm, I'm being semi-facetious there. That's semi. Um, but um, uh, WWJD. What does WWJD stand for? What would... Say it with me. What would Jesus do? Now, I, I, I know that was a fad, and I think uh, there was a, a basketball player who was all tattooed up and lived a pretty lascivious lifestyle named Allen Iverson, and I remember he wore one. And I thought, hmm, he's living a pretty sinful life, but he's got a WWJD bracelet on because it was the fad to wear. And I don't know Allen Iverson. I've never met him, talked to him personally, uh, so I'm not going to be too hard on him. But something seemed a little off with that. And, and listen, it's one thing to wear it. It's another thing to live it. Amen? Um, how about we take on the attitude of, if I'm going to have the mind of Christ, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Listen, all of you this afternoon, you asked yourself in some way or another, would Jesus come to church on Sunday Easter evening? And you all came to the conclusion of, yeah, I think he would. And you're here tonight. And I praise you for that. Amen. I, I'm glad you showed up this evening. I think that's wonderful. But how about tomorrow morning when you get in your car to go to work? Jesus, what would you have me to wear? How would you have me uh, talk to my family before I walk out the door to go to work, or my family walks out the door to go to work? Uh, how would you have me handle that situation at work that seems difficult? Uh, there's, there's a little bit of drama in my heart toward this person over here. How would you have me handle that, Christ? Down to the most mundane things, Christ wants us to ask that question, what would Jesus do if we're going to have the mind of Christ? And with Christ, 
We must be of one one accord. We must be of one mind. And we must, listen, uh, we must be like-minded. Now, I know the passage is speaking about this way. But let me just help you with something here. If you and I are in line with Christ, then you and I are in line with each other. Amen? If you and I are lined up with the Lord then we don't have to worry about whether or not we uh, 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 like the same toppings on our pizza. We don't have to worry about uh, preferences over here or there. On the major things, we're going to line up and we're going to love each other and we're going to figure out how to get along. We must learn His love. We must be like-minded. Two more thoughts for you quickly. Notice, we must learn His lowliness. We must learn His lowliness. Look at uh, chapter 2 and verse 3. With me this evening. Philippians 2 verse 3. The Bible says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Lowliness of mind. Now I'm... Admittedly, I am a work in progress. And I don't have the mind of Christ quite like I wish I did. In fact, until I get to glory, none of us are, until we get to glory, none of us are going to completely have the mind of Christ. But what is lowliness? In a word, it's humility. It's humility. How do I gauge my own humility? Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder if I'm humble? You ever had someone ask you if you're humble? Are you humble? You're like, is that a trap question? Is that a trick question? If I say I'm humble, does that mean I'm proud about being humble? Right? How do you gauge humility? I I said this uh, a couple of Sunday mornings ago. But the way we remember things is through repetition. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself at all. Look at verse 5, and we see that Christ chose deference. Jesus chose deference so that we could have eternal life. Look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This Easter Sunday, we remember that he left the throne of heaven to be born in a feeding trough. He left the worship of angels to be adored by shepherds. He left the light of heaven to walk amongst the darkness of men. He, he left the presence of his heavenly perfect heavenly father to be parented by sinful Joseph and Mary. He gave up perfect fellowship of his father in order to become the sense of humanity on that mercy tree. Why? Why? Because in his humility, he brought about redemption for you and me. You may think, I could never work on a bus route. I might get my suit dirty. You may think I could never work the nursery, that some child might spit up on my dress. You may think I could never be seen with a homeless person. Do you, 
Do you know what that would do for my, to my reputation? And Philippians 2 tells us that the king of kings made himself of no reputation. He robed himself in flesh and he walked among sinful men in order to save them. In order to save them. You see, if we're going to develop the mind of Christ, we have to quit worrying about our reputation. So many people are so concerned about what other people think about them. And that is not a healthy way to live your life. We develop this in our teenage years, where we are willing to do anything in order to gain the approval of our peers. And that just continues on into our adulthood, our adult world. I've seen, um, uh, I've rather, I've heard of folks who go to a, a large sporting event and during a commercial break, uh, they will run the camera throughout the crowd and they'll find a man and woman who sit next to each other and they call it kiss cam, kiss cam. And you'll have a man and woman sit next to each other who are supposed to be married and they'll kiss each other for everyone to see and then everyone will cheer. And, and what happens is they'll put the camera on a man or woman sitting next to each other and the cameraman doesn't know. But lo and behold, those two people are not married. They're not even in love. But 20 to 100,000 fans start cheering and those two people cave and they'll kiss each other in front of all of those people because they're giving in uh, uh, to the pressure because they're worried about their reputation in that hot moment. You say, that doesn't happen. Oh, it happens a lot. Now, if two people can kiss each other that don't love each other in that moment because they're trying to guard their reputation, how about you at work when the heat is turned up and all of a sudden your Christian values and morals are being put to the test? Do I stand on what I believe? Do I stand on biblical truth? Or do I compromise what I believe in this moment so that I can guard my reputation at work? So that I can make sure I get that promotion at work? So that I can make sure my job is safeguarded just a little bit more? Christ made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He was willing to be smeared and slandered and ultimately slain on the tree so that you and I could have eternal life. He did not care about his reputation. And you know what's far more important than reputation is your character. And high character comes from a heart of humility. And God is looking for men and women who will say, I care more about being humble than I care about looking good in front of others. I want Christ to be pleased with my life. Nothing else matters. No one else matters. If I have the approval of my Savior, that's good enough for me. We're going to develop the mind of Christ. We have to make ourselves of no reputation. We have to be willing to pick up a towel and wash some feet, if you will. We're going to have to be willing to get down and get uh, dirty. We're going to have to be willing to put the elbow grease into life and say, uh, whatever it takes, I will be a servant for the Lord Jesus Christ. We must learn His love. We must be like-minded. We must learn His lowliness. Number four, and lastly, we must learn how to look. We must learn how to look. Look at verse four. Verse four says, look not Every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, first, you listen tonight? You all are doing well. I know many of you are tired. And by 
high character, you're staying awake. And I'm, I'm doing my best to try to keep you awake this evening, all right? But hang on. We're almost done here. We're on the last point. Uh, uh, the finish line is in sight. Give me your best attention here for the next few minutes, all right? Notice that this verse, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. This verse is not making provision for gossip. Amen? This is not saying... Get all of the chisme, you Spanish speakers. Get all of the, get all of the dirt you can on whoever you can and look on the things of others. This is not a verse about gossip. This is not a verse about gossip. The Bible says to look or observe uh, uh, the, 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 the things of others. This is not a verse making provision for being a busybody. Uh, Philippians 2.4, I believe, fits in line with a couple of other verses. All right, take your Bibles over to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. You're in Philippians. Hold your place in Philippians. James chapter 5, and look at verse 16. The Bible says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another. Look here that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Watch this now. You have uh, two individuals attached to your life. Two people that you interact with regularly in your day-to-day. One of them is a seasoned prayer warrior, and the other one is a gossip. You have a problem in your life. Which one are you going to? You go on the prayer warrior, right? That's a no-brainer. You go on the prayer warrior. You know what? When the Bible says, look not every man on his own things, but on the things of others, you know what the Bible's saying? It's saying, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. You know what? Uh, we have to learn to put our eyes on other people's needs and pray for them. How about Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2? Listen. Bear ye one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I want to come along and see someone who's struggling with either sin or struggling with sorrow, struggling with some problem in life, and, and, and it's, it's almost as though they've got a backpack on uh, that's so heavy. They've got some heavy uh, object laying across their shoulders, and they just, they're beginning to buckle under the weight. And I want to run up underneath them in prayer, and I want to run my shoulders up under that, and I want to bear that burden to help them. And I can only do that if I'm looking on the need of others. Listen, Christ saw the needs of others. How about Matthew 9, 10 and 11? The Bible says, And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto the disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? You know why Jesus was sitting with publicans and sinners? Because he was looking on their need and he was loving them and helping them in their time of trouble. Now, in my typed up sermon notes, I have this next paragraph in black bold and in font size about 20. All right? I really want you to get what I'm about to say. Everybody listening? Here's what I wrote in my notes. In order to accurately see the needs of those around us, we must first quit focusing on ourselves. 
Many times we can't help others with their problems because we can't take our eyes. We are so stuck on ourselves. I can't worry about your problem because I'm just worried about my life. Me, 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 me. Oh, wait. You exist? Me, 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 me. How about instead Christians learn, what can I do for you? How can I pray for you? And you know what? When I start focusing on your struggles and your needs, and I begin to bear those to the Lord in prayer, all of a sudden my problems go from this down to this. Because God helps take care of my problems when I learn to help look on the needs of others. You think that Jesus never had a headache when he walked this planet? Of course he did. You think he never got a stomach ache or his legs ached from walking day after day? You think that when Jesus was up all night in the mount praying, that the next day when the sick are coming to him and, and, and needing to be healed, that maybe his body wasn't wore down and tired from being up all night praying, but Jesus still took the time to love each and every person that was put in front of him because Jesus cared more about the needs of others than he did his own needs. We're going to develop the mind of Christ, and we must learn to look to the needs of others before we're worried about the needs of ourselves. Christ said this about his own state, Matthew eight twenty, and Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I'm so concerned about taking care of others' needs, I don't even have the time to own and take care of a home. So I'll just sleep in the field. That way I am minimalist in my lifestyle, and I can pour my entire day, my entire being, into looking on the needs of others. Matthew 9.36, the Bible says, But when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as... Sheep having no shepherd. Jesus did not stand over Jerusalem and look out over it from a, a, a bird's eye view. He didn't look over it and think, my goodness, those people are going to kill me. It's all about me, how I'm going to die. No, Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he said, those poor people are walking around like lost sheep. I wholeheartedly believe that Jesus was weeping during this time, he looked down and he saw people and he knew all their backstories. He knew the pain and struggles and hurt. He saw a woman carrying a, a water pot from the outskirts of town into town and knew she had had a fight with her husband that morning. And he saw a man over here who knew was about to go in collections and be put in debtor's prison. And he's walking around and seeing children who are orphaned in the street. And Jesus began to weep because he knew he had a message to help them and to love them, but many of them would reject him. And as a result, he would be nailed to a cross. The point I'm making is that Jesus was busy looking on the needs of others. So, Quickly, by way of completing the message this evening, let's recap. How do we develop the mind of Christ? Because that is the name of the game. That is the Christian life. The most important decision is you get saved. The second most important thing is that you develop the mind of Christ. You think like Christ. Well, first of all, we must learn how to love. We must learn how to love. We must learn his love. We need to take our broken definition of love and 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 build it back up in in line with the definition of how Christ loves us. How do we develop the mind of Christ? 
We must be like-minded. We must line up our very thoughts, those 35,000 decisions we make every day. We must make them with Christ in mind. How do we develop the mind of Christ? Well, we have to learn His lowliness. It's not about my reputation. It's about me being in line with the Lord. It's about me loving others. It's about me serving others, even if it means occasionally I get stepped on. How do we develop the mind of Christ? Well, we learn how to look for others, to others, and how to be a blessing to them. And we put others before ourselves. And when we've learned to do those four things, then Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You've learned to develop the mind of Christ. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You came here tonight, and I thank you. My prayer this evening for each of us is that where we fall short in any one of these areas, the Lord will deal with us right now. Spirit of God, I've done my part to lay out the truth and the last thing I want to do is intrude and try to do yours. Would you convict our hearts? Would you show each of us individually where we fall short in these areas? Lord, work on us. I believe everyone that came tonight loves you or they wouldn't be here. They're devoted to you in this church. But Lord, tonight, help us to see where we can improve and grow. And may all of us learn to have your mind. Oh, thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for saving us. May we serve you with our lives. In Jesus' name, let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed.